Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, August 3rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. The third most powerful U.S. politician is in Taiwan today. Beijing's retaliation has already begun. SoftBank founder Masayoshi Son says he's not going anywhere anytime soon, so why the concern over his successor? And we'll tell you about a new kind of investor. Our correspondent calls them Generation Moonshot. If they invest and save and like, what, they get 1% interest on their savings account, what's 1% going to buy you? We'll bring you more highlights from this week's episode of Behind the Money, which explores why risky bets are perfectly rational to these investors. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. China has suspended imports of more than 2,000 food products from Taiwan. The move is the opening shot in a campaign to punish Taiwan for hosting U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Beijing considers the island its territory, and it's hostile towards any gesture that validates Taiwan as an independent country, in this case, a visit from a foreign leader. Pelosi is the highest-ranking U.S. politician to visit the island in a quarter of a century. Beijing has announced military maneuvers in response, and analysts call its ban on Taiwanese goods a massive expansion of China's economic warfare. The world's largest technology investor is grappling with the question of succession. Who will take over for Masayoshi-san? He's the founder and chief executive of SoftBank. Our Tokyo bureau chief, Kana Inagaki, says concerns have been stoked by a series of top-level departures, including that of Rajiv Mishra. He's the head of SoftBank's $100 billion vision fund. One of the um, striking features to some of these departures is that it seems to happen whenever um, SoftBank is having a shift in a strategic direction of the company. And so Rajiv leaving at this timing has also raised questions about the future of the vision fund and whether some might be thinking of doing something new again. And so if there is another strategic shift again, then it's going to be hard again to find a successor until Son is more clear about where he's taking the company. So Kana, what does Masayoshi Son say himself about a future successor? So Masayoshi Son is always asked at earnings or at shareholder meetings what he's planning to do about succession. And his response um, recently has been quite bullish. He's turning 65 next month, but he's saying he's, you know, he's very fit. And so he wants to run the company beyond the age of 70. So he's saying, you know, obviously succession is an important issue for him, but he's in no hurry to find a candidate. That's our Tokyo bureau chief, Kana Inagaki. In the past, the conventional path towards a secure financial future in the U.S. involved getting a job, investing in a 401k, and buying a house. The 2008 financial crisis changed all of that. It shook Americans in the faith they had in the conventional path to economic stability. It also spawned a very different generation of investors. The FT's Behind the Money podcast delves into this new group called the Moonshot Generation. The host of Behind the Money, Michaela Tendera, joins me now to talk about it. Hey, Michaela. Hey, Mark. So, Michaela, this is a story about risk takers, um, a, a generation of big risk takers. They gamble their money on things like cryptocurrency, NFTs, things that people would, you know, they would think twice about dumping money into. 
Yeah. So our U.S. investment reporter, Madison Darbyshire, reported on this story, and she talked about this mentality that she's found. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the economic quality of life in the U.S. and how it seems to have become harder and harder to become better off than our parents' generation. Here's how Madison puts it. They look at the things that their parents have. They they see houses and mortgages and comfortable retirements and the financial reality of being young now can often make those things feel virtually impossible to access. You have a generation of people who are facing down being less well off than their parents if they play by the traditional rules, if they invest and save and like what they get 1% interest on their savings account, what's 1% going to buy you? (laughs) So people started to think like, okay, I have this, I have $5,000. $5,000 is never going to buy me a house. But $5,000 in Bitcoin, like, that could be $500,000 or that could be $5 million. So why not take a chance? You know, the odds are better than zero. Okay, that that kind of makes sense. But I think for me, the big enabler is technology. When you think about the, the past few years, there have just been absolutely huge developments in financial technology. And the way that we trade is just completely different. How does that all play into the thinking of the moonshot generation that we're talking about here? Yeah, well, it totally does. And Madison says that that's a big part of the story and of this generation of investor. It's the rise of low-cost stock trading platforms. It's hard to tell this story without telling the story of the rise of low-cost stock trading like Robinhood, that when commissions were eliminated from stock trading, all of a sudden there was no friction in the system. There was no sense of, oh, I have to place a trade that is going to be this successful in order to cover the amount of money it will cost me to make this trade. So it was very easy to just like throw out shots. And when the market was rising, especially you know, over the last decade, we saw a unprecedented 10-year bull run it was very easy to make money on options because the market was only going up. So it seems like a a combination of desperation, FOMO, and just accessibility, right? We talked about the technology before combined with the the want and need to make more money. It it all kind of seems like the perfect storm. Yeah, it really does. And that was something I didn't really realize until Madison pointed it out that There's this ability using an app, um, you know, that you didn't really have years before when you would need to call up your stockbroker and make a trade. Um, And it really takes away that barrier. And it kind of plays into there's also, you know, more use of social media with investing. It it all just takes away a lot of barriers that weren't there years before. Yeah. I mean, if I think about social media, the whole Big storyline about this was people encouraging each other to buy GameStop stock and egging each other on, encouraging people, hold the line, don't sell, diamond hands. That kind of added fuel to the fire in a lot of ways. Yeah, it really did. And I mean, Madison also kind of pointed out it can lead to good information rising to the top, but also misinformation rising to the top and can also be really confusing. So um, sometimes it can work out for you and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it's a box of chocolates. You just never know which one you're going to get. How did you feel after you walked away from the story? What was the big takeaway for you? I I was really interested in the story because I'm part of this generation, too. 
But kind of on the flip side, my general thinking is that I'm a pretty risk averse person. Um, So a lot of these decisions did not really make sense to me. But then Madison said something and it really clicked for me, like why people are making these choices. The people who are taking these big swings are doing it in a way that feels very rational to them. If you have a 1% chance of success, but the alternative is failure, the 1% chance of success is the rational choice, right? Like if if your security or your safety or your future is on the line, big swings make sense. My conclusion was that these investors, even though might not agree with some of their decisions, were operating in a way that was financially rational. And the, the problem is on a much higher policy level. Like the problem seems to be that we've created a generation of people who don't feel optimism about their futures. And I mean, I, of course, think about, you know, what might have happened if I invested in Bitcoin, you know, 10 years ago um, and maybe could have sold it when the market was at its peak. And of course, I also would have needed to have remembered my password. Yeah. And like, that's not at all a guarantee. <laughs> um, Michaela Tendera is the host of the FT's Behind the Money podcast. You can hear the full episode on the Moonshot Economy today. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Thanks, Michaela. Thanks, Mark. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.